Good morning. So there's two cups up here. Which one did Ricky drink out of? I didn't, wasn't paying attention. Oh, he did? Oh. <laughs> um, quick update. We had our, uh, our uh, Saturday night outreach last night, and um, we, I thank you for your prayers and your support and everything else. It went well. We, uh, well, according to some that counted, probably 30-plus kids that came out. Um, from all different walks of life, from uh, kids from our assembly here to uh, um, other churches to friends of other church-going kids. So we had, we had a good number out. And um, even in the, the weather, it was, uh, they still braved the weather and came on out. So continue to pray, not only for the gospel to go out, for kids to get saved, and we gave the gospel, um, but also for the kids that are going that are believers, that the Lord will encourage them to live for him and to be a testimony and a witness. So that transitional time of a high school or junior high and in there is so pivotal. They could throw their whole lives away um, with everything that goes on in their life. I want you for a minute to, uh, we're going to use our imagination. And right now we're in a very uh, difficult time politically in the United States and around the world. We, we are, are split with different opinions. We are, uh, um, I want to say this in a politically correct way, but, uh, you know, we have everywhere from anarchy to violence against the police to um, immigration laws to everything else to, um, to all different sorts of views from people supporting abortion to uh, homosexuality, to adultery, to all this stuff in, in which we live right now. Now, once you think of the United States, the state we're in, we, we have different moral beliefs in our country right now. But I want you to think about a country, the United States, as being a Christian country. Think for a minute, and I'm talking Christian, not in the, in the sense of, of uh, Christendom, but in the sense of genuine believers that have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, who are true believers, are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, read the Word of God, follow His, his uh, ways. Um, so think of the United States as being Christian. Think of the president being Christian, the vice president. Think of Congress all being Christians. Think of your senators being Christians. Think of all the governors of every state in the United States are Christians, and everyone within their, their uh, administration are Christians. Think of your neighbors as Christians. Everyone in the United States is a truly born-again believer. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? There will be a day when it will be like that. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the millennial kingdom in which there will come a day when from the least of them to the greatest of them will know the Lord. There will come a day when the Lord Jesus Christ, when he sets up his kingdom, only believers, true believers in him, are going to enter into this kingdom. There's going to come a day when every leader of this world is going to be a true believer. This is going to be amazing, isn't it? There will come a day when Jesus Christ is going to reign and rule from Jerusalem over the entire world. There's going to come a day. I get a lot of questions uh, about traffic tickets or, or different things of the law. They'll come up to me and say, 
well, officer, stop me. I was doing this. And what does the law say? And they want to contest it. Unfortunately, police officers are fallible. We make mistakes, but we go by what we, we view and so forth. There's going to come a day when the, when the judgment upon the violator will be true and accurate. There's going to come a day when, when, when people that break the law are going to be found guilty and innocent are not going to be found guilty. When righteousness is going to fill the land, it's going to be a wonderful day. There's going to come a day where there's no more sickness. Healing's going to take place. It was mentioned in uh, the memorial service uh, uh, yesterday that our, our dear beloved sister lived 95 years and she had a full life. I mean, that's a long time. That's a child in the millennial kingdom. That's a child. A time when the curse is going to be reversed. A time when there's going to be no more deserts, no more dry land, but the, the, the trees and everything going to give forth fruit. The vegetables from the ground are going to be tremendous. The, the, the earth's going to come alive. It's going to be a time in the future well, this will take place. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I want, hopefully, to, for you to get a little bit excited for the future because what, what, what the Lord set up in the Garden of Eden, he took Adam and Eve and he planted them in the Garden of Eden. And it was a, a perfect environment for them to live in. They had all the fruit, all the, the, the food, plentiful. But because of sin, they lost it all. You see, Adam and Eve could have lived forever in that garden. They could have lived forever in that environment. But because of sin, they were cast out. And because of sin, there's a curse that came upon the earth. You see, in Romans chapter 8, it talks about this curse in which the creation groans and waits eagerly for this day of the revelation of Jesus Christ when he comes back to this earth, and when it, which is going to one day, that curse be lifted off all the grounds and the, the trees, and everything is going to give forth and blossom. No more deserts. We're, we're going to look at these verses. We're going to look at a lot of stuff. We don't have a lot of time, but we're going to try to get through as much as we can. But what I want to do is, and the reason why I brought up the United States, because we can identify with that. But think of it in the whole world. China, Russia, all Christians, all believers, everyone. You go to the gas pump. I, you know, I hopefully you get excited. You go to the gas pump, get gas, and there's going to be a believer there that knows the Lord and wants to talk about the Lord that's going to say, God bless you, everywhere you go. Think of it as, you know, Yosemite is something our assembly can identify with, with the, the mountaintop experience. And at the end of Yosemite, the ministry that you get and, and, and the fellowship and everything else, that mountaintop, that, 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 that spiritual high that you get, it's going to be every day, 24 hours. You're never going to come down from that high. We're going to be able to talk to the Lord personally. We're going to be able to interact with Him. No more questions about, you know, the creation of the earth or, or, or biblical questions. We go straight to the King Himself, straight to the Lord. We're going to have a unique place as uh, the bride of Christ. We're going to be with the Lord. Now this kingdom that He's going to reign and rule over is an earthly kingdom, but we're going to be right there along with Him. And it's going to be a tremendous tremendous time in which we're going to see where Christ was appeared, where God was appeared to be defeated in the Garden of Eden. 
Satan thought he had him. He defeated him. He lost that, 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 uh, that earth that was created for man to enjoy, brought the curse. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to reverse all that, and he's going to bring us back to a state in this world in which he intended for a man to live. And in this earth, it's going to be a tremendous, tremendous time. So to bring you up, we've covered a lot of territory. And again, there's no way I have time to cover all the verses of everything we've gone through and to be real thorough. But I hope it gives you an appetite to go and study more on your own. But we started off with the rapture of the church, and we saw how the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back and take all those that are born again, all those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Going to take him home. Take us home to be with him. After that, the man of sin will be revealed, and you're going to have a seven years tribulation that we discussed, where it's going to be such a horrendous time of where, during this millennial kingdom, they describe, many talk about, we're not going to recognize this, this world because of all the stuff that takes place during the tribulation of earthquakes and um, the seas turning to blood and, and the waters and everything else. It's going to be a tremendous time and hailstorms and all that goes on. It's, it's going to shape the, the world we live in. But this seven-year tribulation where the wrath of God is poured out upon this earth to get man to repent and to turn towards him. It's going to be a literal seven years. And at the end of the seven years we talked about is we have what is referred to as the Battle of Armageddon, this great battle in which there's going to be several battles where they come against Jerusalem. They come against Israel and the Lord returns and his feet... Um, step upon the Mount of Olives, and it splits in two. And he goes forth, and he fights for his people. So you have the Battle of Armageddon that takes place, in, in which all the nations, every nation, even the United States, everyone, if we're still in existence, um, comes against the Lord, and he defeats him in this battle. And at the end of this battle, it's a time for the Lord himself to set up the kingdom. The king has returned. The king is here. There's going to be a separation of the sheep and the goats, where every person, every nation, every individual is going to come before the king. And those that are true believers, truly born again, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior and believe that his death on the cross paid for their sins, those are the sheep, those he's going to bring into the kingdom. And the goats are going to be separated out. Those that have rejected Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Those who during the time heard the gospel and never received it. Never believed it. Those are going to be cast into hell to wait their final judgment of the great white throne of judgment. So during this kingdom, when Christ himself sets it up, he's going to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. His throne in Jerusalem. The city of Zion. And only sheep are going to enter in. Only true believers are going to go in to this kingdom. What we're going to see, and what I want to just bring to your minds real quick, is that during this millennial kingdom is that you have certain promises that were made throughout the Old Testament. You had the promise to Abraham that God said, I will make you a great nation. And of his seed, Abraham's seed, he was going to make a great nation, and he was going to give them a land in its entirety, that they were to possess it forever. This is an unconditional promise that God promised to Abraham and to Abraham's seed, in which we see, as the children of Israel went and, and continually screwed up, they lost the land. 
They don't possess the land. But see, God made a promise. And God will fulfill his promise. And I want you to remember this. As we read through these scriptures, and we're going to look at a lot, to remember as God is going to declare that he is going to give them this land. In its entirety, and the borders are laid out, that, that Israel is going to possess the land. Yeah, the land promised to Abraham. The promise to David, that of David's seed, there's going to be a king that's going to rise up, that's going to sit on his throne forever. And we know from the genealogy of, of, of Jesus that he's of the seed of David, and this is the king that's going to come and fulfill that unconditional covenant that God promised, that Israel would have a king that would rule righteously, that would be their shepherd, that would be their king to lead them into all unrighteousness, or all righteousness, and would watch over them. And no more would their enemies come in and defeat them. No more would sin and idolatry and so forth take the children of Israel captive. They will be led in all righteousness. Then you have the new covenant, in which we enjoyed this morning the Lord's Supper. This is my body and my blood that was given for the new covenant in which we are partakers of that new covenant, and we love the new covenant. But you know, the new covenant was made to Israel. It wasn't made to the church, it was made to Israel. And we are partakers. We've been grafted into the promises of God, and we've been grafted into the promises that Israel's been given. And we are partakers of that new covenant. But there's going to come a time in this new covenant where it's fulfilled literally with Israel, with Judah, and no longer are you going to have Israel and Judah, but you're going to have one nation in which the Spirit of God is going to be poured out within all of them. And they'll all know the Lord. And they'll all be saved. And they'll all be worshiping the, the King. It's going to be a tremendous time. But those covenants that God made, He will fulfill. And He's actively working on it. Oftentimes we think that, that we look at the world and the, the immorality and everything else that goes on, the rejection of God the unbelief, and we think, man, where's God? Is this out of his control? Has he lost control of this world? But, you know, God is never out of control. He's a sovereign God, and he knows how everything's going to take place, and he's working it all after the counsel of his own will. Real quick, I want to hit th three views that are actually out there of, of the millennial kingdom. The first view is just, we're going to hit them real quick, so um, if you have more questions we can talk about later. The first is a post-millennial view, and the post-millennial view um, is one that believes that the world is going to become Christianized through the gospel. They don't see the seven-year tribulation, they don't see the stuff that we see, but what they see is that the world's going to progressively get better and better and better, and the gospel is going to go out to that all the world gets saved. And then Lord Jesus Christ is going to return and reign at that time. Um, there's been hymns that have been written uh, about it, and there's hymns even written in our Red Book about it that we sing. But, um, um, but not too many believers that I know of still hold to a post-millennial viewpoint, because as you can see, the world's not getting better. It's getting worse. And... Um, Second, and, and this is the, the, um, a popular view amongst Reformed theology, is the amillennial view. And where they take their stance is, is they don't believe in a literal fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecies in which we see. 
They believe in that the church has replaced Israel and that the church fulfills all these covenants. Up until the, the, the um, 1800s, 1700s, 1800s or so, when uh, the premillennial view came out, they really didn't, and you read the Reformed theology, they didn't know what to do with Revelation. They don't know what to do with Daniel and Ezekiel and all these prophets that spoke of this glorious kingdom that was going to come. So what they do is they turn around and spiritualize everything. They spiritualize the tribulation. They spiritualize um, all aspects that are given of the kingdom in which Christians uh, enjoy only. And that Christ is sitting on the throne of David right now in heaven and that it's a spiritual kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom and that it carries on that way. It's in the hearts of believers and that's where Christ is reigning right now. They see no future earthly kingdom. They see a time in which the return of the Lord will come and the resurrection will take place and then you'll go on to the new heaven and the new earth. This is the amillennial view. Now what we believe and what we've been looking at is what was referred to as a premillennial view. And this is a view that, that is distinct and different than the amillennial view. We see a distinction between Israel and the church. See, Israel is God's earthly people and the church is God's heavenly people. We see a distinction between the promises that are made to Israel and they will be fulfilled through Israel, not the church. Now, we are partakers of the church, or we are partakers of the covenant, and we are grafted in, as you can get into Romans 9, 10, and 11, and so forth, as we've been grafted into these promises. But the promises originally were given to Israel, and God will fulfill them future. As well as we see the parenthetic period in Daniel of where there's a time in which God is gathering together his bride. He stopped the dealing of times with Israel, and he's now gathering together believers that are going to be the bride of Christ, and that's us, the church. It's not foreseen in the Old Testament. There's going to become a time when we are raptured out, we're taken out of the way, and he will resume his dealings with Israel and establishing those covenants. One of the things I want you to, to pay attention to is, uh, as, we, as we look through this is we're going to see a lot of scripture. We're going to read a lot because as, as I studied this, several commentators said this. We can debate this stuff all day long. We can say these different views. But let's read what scripture says. Because scripture holds the weight. And I want you, it's so overwhelming the amount of scripture and the promises that there's going to be a future fulfillment of these covenants and this future kingdom of where Christ is going to reign that you just can't ignore it. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be some uh, uh, smart guy to realize that as you read through the scripture, and there's so much of it to figure out that, you know what, this is going to be literally fulfilled in the future. Because just as it was prophesied of Israel's regathering and dispersion, so will this last regathering be literally fulfilled. And just as it was prophesied, the first coming of Christ... In Christ's death, and we take a literal fulfillment of that, why not take a literal fulfillment of the second coming of Christ in his kingdom? And everything that we look at, it's funny, everything's been a literal fulfillment until you take the amillennial position of where they go and spiritualize this future, which uh, we believe is a mistake. So these yet, these yet future prophecies of the regathering of Israel, the second coming of Christ, to rule and reign on the earth and every characteristic of this kingdom is going to be literally fulfilled. 
Turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. And what I want to do is we're going to read through a lot with a little bit of comment. And I want you to listen and just, um, we don't have time to read through everything, but there's so many scripture verses that we can read that speak of this future kingdom and how glorious it's going to be. That we could talk about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. Look at Daniel chapter 2. And um, we'll begin reading in uh, verse 31. And this is the great image of uh, the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his vision that Daniel goes and interprets for him. And, uh, and it's interesting, just as the literal fulfillment of these other nations in which he dreamt of, so will be the future kingdom will be literally fulfilled. 31 says, You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image was splendor, was excellent, stood before you, and it was, its form was awesome. This image head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Verse 34. We don't have time to read all of this section, so I'm just reading kind of the, 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 the pertinent sections. But um, on your own time, you can go back and, and pick up a little more of the context. Um, verse 34. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and of clay and broke them into pieces. This is the, the revived Roman Empire, of which is put back, and um, in which this, this stone that's cut out is going to shatter it. The, then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that there's no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the earth. This is the millennial kingdom he's referring to here. Now look over at verses 44. He's going to give the interpretation of it. And in the days of these kings of the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it was broke in pieces, the iron and the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. This is going to take place. Go over to uh, chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Then all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Look at verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. This is an eternal possession, never to lose this kingdom again. Turn over to Ezekiel. Just go back a book. Ezekiel chapter 36. And if you have time to read and to look at 34 all the way into uh, 
um, the end of Ezekiel, it talks about the regathering of Israel and, and all that's going to take place in the future. To verses 40 on, it, it describes the millennial kingdom and the millennial temple that will be built. That will be built. But Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse uh, 24 says, For I will take you, speaking of Israel, I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Verse 26, this is the new covenant. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I have give, that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Verse 35. And so they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. Isn't that amazing? This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the wasted desolate and the ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offered as a holy sacrifice, like a flock of Jerusalem on the feast day, so shall the ruined cities be filled with the flocks of men, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Chapter 37, the vision of dry bones. And if we had time to read through it, what a tremendous vision that is of these dead individuals, bones that come to life, and the skin comes back upon them. Um, let's look at verses uh, 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live. I will place you in your own land, and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Verse 21, referring to you guys, two signs of two sticks that become one. And verse 21 says, Then says to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, whenever they, wherever they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land. And on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. And they shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two nations again. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. David, my servant, shall be king over them. And they shall all have one shepherd. They shall all walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt. Then they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be the prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. 
and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them. I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctified Israel when my sanctuary is in the midst forevermore. We can keep going on and on as we read. I want to read uh, chapter 47. And what you, you find out is you get the measurements, and what's going to take place is there's going to be a new millennial temple that's going to be built. And, and, and uh, chapters 40 through 46 give those measurements, and everything's going to take place. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns to this earth, his feet are going to hit the Mount of Olives, and there's going to be a tremendous earthquake that's going to change the, the, um, the region. And there's going to be something, a river, that's going to come flowing out from underneath the temple of where they're going to build it. And then it's going to flow outward to the Dead Sea, to the Mediterranean Sea. And it's going to bring this Dead Sea to life. Let's see what uh, takes place here. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from underneath, under the threshold of the temple to the, toward the east. For the front of the temple faced east, the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. And if you continue to read on, he keeps going out in the water, and it's, it's deep water. Um, turn down to verse 6. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. And when I returned there, along the bank of the river were, were very many trees on the one side and the other. Then he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley, and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. This is the salt sea there, the dead sea, which has no living fish or anything else in there. And when this water flows forward from this temple and goes down, this dead sea is going to come alive. Don't believe me, let's read on and see. Verse 9, And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. There will be a great multitude of fish because these waters go there. For they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the rivers go. It should be that fishermen will stand by it from En Gedi to En Gilim. They will be places for spreading their nets. Their fish will be of the same kinds and of the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many. But its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. Along the bank of the river on the side, and then on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees used for fruit, food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. They will bear every fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for medicine. What a tremendous time in which this is going to take place. We can continue reading on. There, there's, there's more to read through Jeremiah, um, Isaiah, Joel, Amos, Micah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, I mean, these, all these prophets declare this coming kingdom, declare this time of this glorious kingdom in which all the nations will come and bow before Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Isaiah. Back a, we're going to skip around here, and uh, I'm not going to read them all, but back to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, and we're going to see some of the characteristics of this kingdom. 
Verse 1, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall judge, shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with his breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Look at the reverse of the curse, verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lay down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the, the bear shall graze, the young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's nest, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. And they shall not be hurt, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. That's an amazing thing. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be the root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people and the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Turn with me uh, a few more chapters over um, to Isaiah 65. And again, there's, there's Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. There's Isaiah 35. There's so many more we could, we could look at, but um, Isaiah 65 and verse 18. It says, But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing, and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from, their <clears throat> from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. Drop down to verse 24. And it shall be, and it shall come to pass, that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The dust shall be of a serpent's food, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. What a tremendous time of blessing in reverse of the curse. Um, we're going to skip over Amos. Uh, there's Micah, Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14. Let's go to uh, Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah chapter 8, and um, verse 1 says, And again the word of the Lord of the host came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal, with great fervor I am zealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets, 
each one with his staff in his hand because of the great age. The streets of the city shall be full of the boys and girls playing in the streets. Um, let's go on to verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall come, inhabitants of many cities, inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continually... Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go. Yes, many peoples are strong and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and pray before the Lord. And thus says the Lord of hosts in those days, 10 men, listen to this, 10 men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man saying, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. When was the last time you had someone grasp your, your, your sleeve and grab a hold of you and say, I want to I learn of God? You know the Lord. I want to learn of him. We can go on and on, and, and there's so many more verses. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. And the reason why I read all those, because uh, I want you to be confident and rest assured in the scriptures, in the word of God, that he has declared that this kingdom will come about. That it's not a spiritual, but it's going to be an earthly kingdom. And just as, as the first coming of the Messiah, just as the, the uh, dispersion of Israel was prophesied and so forth, he has promised to regather Israel and, and to establish his kingdom on earth. But look at verse Revelation chapter 20 and uh, verse 1. And this is in the end times, at the end of... Uh, the, the tribulation time. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon that the serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these th things, he must be released for a little while. We haven't talked much about it, but... Um, during the, the millennial kingdom, I mentioned that it's going to start off in its inauguration. Everyone's going to be believers. And they're going to go forth and, and have children and children and children and children. Unfortunately, as these children are born, and what we haven't discussed is these are not people that are perfected. They're still going to have their sin nature. And although they're saved like we are, um, although the Spirit of God is going to indwell all those that enter into the kingdom, you're going to have people that are born during this time that they're going to be in subjection to the king. There's not going to be any question to whether they're going to obey the laws of the land, but righteousness is going to come. But the question is going to be whether these individuals that are born in the millennial kingdom accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. They have to not only outwardly surrender to him, but inwardly surrender and accept him as their savior. So this is going to go forward in and the idea that there, there will be law-breaking during the millennial kingdom, but there's going to be judgment, swift judgment, and righteousness will prevail. But um, having said that, because I set this up, because Satan here, and understand this, we use the excuse, the devil made me do it. Not going to have that excuse in the millennial kingdom. Satan is, is cast in the bottomless pit, and he's locked up there. He can't get out to deceive the nations no more, and he's going to stay there for a thousand years, and at the end of the thousand years, he will be released, and he'll come about, and we'll read that in a little bit here. Verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus 
And for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. This is where we get the millennial kingdom. So we, get, we believe it's a literal thousand-year reign, and it's uh, repeated several times throughout this chapter, and this is where we get the, the thousand years from. Verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Verse 7, Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, and will go out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as of the sand of the sea. They went up with the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast in a lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I can't comprehend how living in a, 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 an environment such as with the king reigning righteously over this world that there would be individual children and individual people that reject the king. And there's going to be individuals that so much reject the king that when Satan's released after the thousand years, that they're going to go and gather up nations, gather up people and say, let's overthrow that sinful nature that is within them and the rejection of the Savior that died on the cross for their sins. They're going to embrace the dragon, embrace Satan one last time. Now the question is, is why doesn't Satan just uh, be thrown in the lake of fire at the, at the start of the millennial kingdom? I don't know. Uh, you can ask God when we get to heaven. Or, but perhaps some have surmised that this is the last test of mankind. God always tests man. And God always wants man to choose him. And... Um, but when Satan comes forward, they're going to have to make their choice. Just like everyone here this morning has to make a choice whether to accept Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. God doesn't take anyone to heaven kicking and screaming. He's not going to take anyone in the millennial kingdom that doesn't want to come. You see, salvation is offered to all. Jesus paid the price on the cross of Calvary. And it's those that come to Jesus and accept that he died in their place are the ones that are born again. And so you go back to John chapter 3, and he made it very clear to Nicodemus. Unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And in a literal aspect of that, not only are we born again right now, but to enter into that kingdom, that earthly millennial kingdom, that's going to be an earthly, political, spiritual kingdom, you must be born again. And just as they're going to have that choice to make Every one of us has that choice this morning. If you don't know Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we pray and we ask that you talk to someone here to make sure that when you die, you go to heaven. If the Lord Jesus Christ has returned right now, would you go with him? Would he take you or would he leave you behind? If the Lord Jesus Christ came right now, would you be the only one sitting in the pew? Or would you be gone with all the saints of God? It's going to be a tremendous time, and um, we didn't get to get into everything, I'm sorry, but the 12 apostles will rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. We, the church, will not only be ministering to the Lord as priests, but uh, those who are faithful is going to be given 
responsibilities to, to uh, reign over cities and rule. And he's going to be the main king, and he's going to have different delegates going out and, and, and ruling on his behalf and so forth. But this is a glorious time in which it will take place and that we look forward to the day uh, when Christ will establish this glorious kingdom. Let's bow in prayer. Our gracious God, Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you so much for the revelation of scriptures, of the plan of God, and that you will bring about everything after the counsel of your will, Father. You speak it, and it's true, and you will accomplish it. And Father, we look forward to this day when we will be with you, not only for Lord Jesus Christ's return for us now, but in that glorious day when he is set up as king over all the world, and all the nations will come and bow before him, and will worship before him, and will honor him, and will know about him, and will speak great things about him. So we look forward to this day, and we thank you so much for all that you've given to us. So ask your blessings upon the rest of this day and this week. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.